one and a half weeks left of the Qatar 2022 World Cup. And what a journey it's been so far. Welcome to Doha Diaries. Hello people and welcome back to the second edition of the Doha Diaries and we bring it to you with a little bit of an apology. We didn't put out an episode last week but with good reason. Uh, I myself got an opportunity to fly out to Qatar as Osama. Osama couldn't make it sadly even though the opportunity was there for him as well and what an experience it was and I think that's where we'll start our show. Um, but there's a lot to discuss, of course, all the fallout from the group stages, all the surprises so far, all the way up until the quarterfinal stage. Uh, and that'll be a good one to discuss for sure as we look ahead to the quarterfinals, which should be in a few hours' time as you guys are listening to this. Wissema, how have you been, my guy? Yeah, Two weeks man. of the World Cup, and it's it's genuinely been one of the best I can remember, to be honest I with think, you. Yeah, I think you've, you're right to highlight. I think for me... Uh, now that I've all grown up, this is probably the best World Cup that I've watched. Yeah, for me personally, 2014 was was a special one. But this one, the the storylines, the atmosphere, the the level of enjoyment that that fans have been able to have in this World Cup has put it on a level that I haven't seen before in in football. And I'll I'll start to talk about my experience out there. I only managed to go for a few days because of uh, other commitments, but uh, what what a few days it was. Honestly, mm. like the you know, let's just talk about Qatar for one. The, the level of technology, the level of hospitality from the people, um, everything there is is on another level. Um, something that people are will not be used to here in England, for example. Uh, and it's amazing to see once you're there and you get into the vibe and the atmosphere and you mingle between the fans and you really get a, a feel for what the World Cup is about. Fans from every continent, from every corner of the earth coming together, having a good time. We've seen the scenes from the Morocco fans, the Saudi Arabia fans, the Argentinian fans, the Mexican fans. It's just been a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, and the football has delivered as well. And that's the yeah. key for me, that the football has delivered. And I thought at the start of the tournament that it will, because it's in the middle of the season, that it will deliver because all the players are at their kind of peak conditioning. Mm. And that's exactly what we've seen. And I've been very impressed with the level of hosting, the the accessibility for fans in stadiums. I've never been to stadiums where the atmosphere is so good. And I genuinely believe that one of the reasons is the that they are not serving alcohol in stadiums. And I know that's something that English fans uh, and some European fans might not be used to, but it made the atmosphere better because there was no kind of aggressive nature to, to fans. A, a lot more families were in, a lot more women were in, um, and it made it accessible to a lot of fans. And it, it, was, it was an amazing few days uh, to experience. I managed to get to a few games, Uruguay versus uh, Ghana. I managed to get to the England uh, round of 16 game, uh, the USA round of 16 game. Hats off to Qatar for, for delivering and long may it continue for the rest of the, the campaign. Let's, let's kind of look back at the, the, the tournament, Osama. 
Um, an interesting group stage full of surprises and, and amazing uh, performances. But the key for me was that we went into the last match day and I think it was like 28 or 30 of the teams still had something to yeah. play for going in. Uh, and that was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, I think there was only three teams that had qualified. Um, England, France, Brazil and Portugal. Uh, sorry. E- even England technically went through... But it was but, like within but their they hands were basically there. Yeah. So the three teams were Brazil, Portugal, and France. So yeah, I think it, it was a really enjoyable last week um, within the group stages itself. I think um, yeah, they, they provide a lot of highs and lows for different teams, and I think some fans wouldn't have even expected the big teams to kind of get knocked out. So the, the one that comes to mind would have to be Germany. Now, a lot thought Germany would probably come second or first within yeah, the group. Yeah, I, that they I had. thought they were going to win the group, I'll be honest. And yeah, Japan's just. I was glad to see that, 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 that you know, Japan managed yeah, to, to upset them. It, it, it's what I've loved most about the World Cup itself is that the lower ranked teams or the least expected teams to go in and win the games or the underdogs, in a way, actually went there and provided enjoyment, entertainment for the fans and as neutrals from different countries. You kind of rooted and supported them in a way because they're less likely, or you won't expect much from them. And I think yeah, they delivered uh, within majority of the games that they played in. And hats off to Japan who topped their group and unfortunately they got knocked out in the round of sixteen. But I think they performed admirably for their nation. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, and and there's been a number of teams, even the teams that didn't make it through the group stage. We saw some amazing performances, of course, Saudi Arabia. We've seen Tunisia beating France in, in the last game, a significant win for Tunisia, uh, and, and also maybe potentially showing that France can be beaten, um, even though they've been they've looked probably the third best team so far uh, in the tournament. What's what's kind of the one big surprise that might be a player, might be a a team that you've seen so far that's that's kind of caught your eye? Uh, I think there's a few teams that caught my eye. I think. Um, if you're going on potential and what you expect from the teams, I think Brazil and Portugal have kind of arisen to the expectations that they have looking at the players that they have in the squad. Um, I think they've kind of taken the groups as well as the tournament by storm in in So so do you think like they've surprised you as to how good they were, even though you expected they were gonna be good? Yeah, no no, like I knew Brazil uh, would be would always progress really well, but I think Portugal is the one that caught me. Where because they've got more of a defensive-minded coach, it's you're kind of wary about how he's going to set up. And I think just about the recent game that they played in against Switzerland, where the manager himself had the cojones to actually drop Cristiano. Yeah, and and uh, that's something we'll come on paid to off. in a bit, of course. Yeah. Uh, f- for me, honestly, uh, for me, it was. It's an obvious one, but it was one that I was very happy about. And we mentioned on our preview that the positive effect of Morocco's new coach could really see them perform to the highest level. And that's exactly what we've seen. Yeah. I've been very, very happy with the way that they've performed. The fact that they won their group, expected to get an easy draw, got a tough draw because Spain struggled and still managed to beat them has been incredible. And shout out to them as the... First ever Arab country to make it to to the final eight. 
the third, the fourth ever African country to make it to the final eight. Yeah. Potentially the first ever to make a semi-final on Saturday. It was a tough ask against oh. that Portugal team, but the the hope is there. We've seen the level of Arab unity. Yeah. Um, us as Arabs, of course, that's something that has been re has really stood out for us. Um, and and it's something I'm also a little bit disappointed about that we've seen the coverage from the BBC or ITV and and further afield, and there's not a single Arab pundit pundit that can actually explain to them the meaning of this for the Arab region as a whole, because I feel like there's been a little bit of confusion about it. Why why are you celebrating their success? And it's very hard to explain it to someone who isn't an Arab like you because you wouldn't see it. You wouldn't see um uh, you wouldn't see a French person supporting Germany, for example. Yeah. So it's something a bit strange. But uh, they need that to be explained to them, the the level of unity and so on. And if if you if you if you could explain it to our viewers uh, in just a couple of words, what would you say? I, I think the biggest thing for me is what it actually means to Arab football and African football, I'll come to that in a second, but Arab football mainly is that we've never had a, a team to root for that far in a tournament. And what that can do to young, talented athletes in a lot of Arab countries that may be growing up in, in Arab countries or in the diaspora, as many of the Moroccan team did, being born in Spain, for example, but still representing their home country and still managing to get to the latter stages of an international tournament, maybe we will end up seeing a lot of these talented young footballers choosing to decide to play for their home countries rather than for the country that they were born in or 100%. grew up in, for example. We've seen Moroccan talent in the team from Holland, from Spain, from France. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me. And also... Th there's a level of Arab unity, like I said, that we don't really see in other regions of the world. Uh, and that that's also a, a big, big um, point as to, as to why people are very happy with it. And from an African point of view, it's very interesting. Because the next World Cup, the format is still up in the air. Where there's 48 teams, but no one knows exactly what the breakup is. If Morocco win on Saturday it would mean that Africa could potentially have 11 teams yeah. in, in the World Cup. Which is a massive bonus. Which is ball. crazy. At the moment, yeah. it's nine, I think. But if they get to a semi-final, it could be 11. So I, I think for African football as well, it's a huge moment. Saturday's yeah. a huge, huge moment. Um, I, and I can't wait for it. And I honestly hope they do it. But we'll come on to that in, in a bit more detail, talking about the game specifically. Uh, in terms of players, who, who's been your standout, Osama? Uh, I think there's a, a couple that come to mind. Um, I think one that I highlighted earlier within our preview episode, Jude Bellingham. I think the reason being, uh, I've I've kind of heard a lot about him within the Bundesliga, and I've watched him a couple of times within the Champions League itself. But I think just like many English fans and other fans around the world, I didn't expect him to be as good as he is. Um, for someone that young to show his potential as well as everything that he provides on the pitch both offensively and defensively is it's insane for someone that young uh, and honestly if you, if you watched him play for the first time you'd think he's probably in his prime age of 24 25 and he's done this for multiple years where he's gained the experience and yeah it's scary but i think um another one that you guys highlighted was Cody Gakpo 
Now I knew nothing of this kid. Abdullah did kind of saying to watch out for him. And I think honestly he's been Holland's star player. I think everything has just flown perfectly for him. He's bagged three goals um in the group stage and the first time a Holland player has done that since Wesley Schneider. And yeah, I think just even the assists and he provides like an actual threat going forward for Holland, which is crazy because looking at the team, you won't expect them to have the best attacking players. Um, just just depying him. And yeah, I think I have to give credit to Van Gaal for actually playing him within the more of like a camp position, even though he's like a left winger. Yeah, uh, he's been more central and, and he's he's got a lot to his game. And if he manages to lock down that number nine position, he, he can he can genuinely yeah, go, he's got, he's go got potential. I'm going to pick another striker. Striker that's gone out now, okay, but has really kind of not surprised me, but kind of made me turn my head a little bit. And and it's a player who's performed before in a World Cup, but for me, it's Mbolo. Oh wow, wow, yeah. Because yeah. I I've seen him perform. To I I feel like he's got all the assets that you need from a, for a modern number nine. Mm. The hold up play, the finishing ability, the striking of the ball, the positioning. Yeah. Um, and from what I've seen of him for Switzerland, he's been he's been very very good, and I can see this being a potential stepping stone for him to take the next step in his career and move to a potentially big club. The next step for me is probably kind of a, a bottom, a kind of a Champions League slash Europa League club, someone like Spurs, for example. I think that's the level of club he could potentially move to, mm. and then see what he can he what he can do from there. We've of course seen the uh, the quarterfinal lineup now as it is. Uh, coming on to the quarterfinal lineup now that we we have in front of us, uh, a friend mentioned it the other day, and I think he's he's spot on in what he said that this quarterfinal lineup is potentially the best since two thousand and six. But there's always been what, two or three weak teams making it to the quarterfinals because yeah. of the luck of the draw, for example. But the, the interesting thing about this World Cup is that despite there being a lot of upsets and, and big teams dropping out and th- and so on, it's still a very, very strong lineup But in that quarterfinals. Of course, we've, we've got Croatia versus Brazil uh, and Netherlands versus Argentina on Friday. You know, three footballing nations, Croatia finalists in the last World Cup. Saturday, Morocco versus Portugal. Morocco, the underdog story, Portugal potentially... Uh, a legacy-defining moment for Cristiano Ronaldo winning the World Cup. England, will it finally come home? Will they finally deliver on this young, talented generation that you have? France, could they be the first team to win it back-to-back in 60 years? There's a lot of storylines, which whoever team wins it, there's a storyline there. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. Um, so let's go through them one by one, yeah? Yeah. Let's start with the Croatia versus Brazil. Now... Croatia have kind of gone by without necessarily impressing. 100%. Managed to win on penalty shootouts, of course. But Brazil, on the other hand, have have been a joy to watch. They have genuinely... We've seen Brazilian teams in World Cups past where, you know, they, maybe they're good. You know, they eventually go out in a semi-final or quarter-final and they don't really impress you. They're just playing football as this Brazil team is giving you throwback Brazil vibes. Yeah. Dog you've Benito. got Neymar, you've got Paqueta, all of these Benicius, players, yeah. Vinicius, Richarlison. Richarlison's getting called R9 by yeah, everyone, bro. Wow, He's honestly. absolutely killing it yeah. right now. Like, this Brazil team is a joy to watch, isn't it? 
I think you're 100% spot on. I think one word I would say about Brazil is that they've found the right balance uh, within the team. I think always going, always looking at Brazil teams have always had the flair and the skill and kind of the entertainment for fans going forward. But defensively and within the midfield there, they've always been lacking an actual spine within the team. And I think right now they have that. And one of the reasons is because of having one of the best keepers in the world, um, Anderson. Then you've got the likes of Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, who are the concrete centre-backs, who have experience within massive games, such as like the Champions League, um, the World Cup itself previously. And yeah, and then you've got, I think the one player that I want to highlight is Casemiro. I think He's been sensational this World Cup. It just goes to show how good this guy is. And maybe Madrid fans could be a bit annoyed that he's left to go to Manchester United. But I think this World Cup has highlighted as to why he's probably top three best centre-defensive midfielders in the world. Yeah, I, I mean, there's an argument for him to be the best. I think the key thing you said there is that he basically lets the rest of the team play. Exactly. And When you have him there, your Neymars, your Vinicius's, they can all do their thing. 100%. I think having him in the team is the vital part of the team itself. And I think the team knows it as well. Because he does defensive work, he does the dirty work, allowing, like you said, the flyer players to kind of show off and entertain the fans and yeah going forward like you highlighted with R9 or Richarlison I think his second goal within his second goal of the World Cup was crazy um, and yeah the, just the football they're playing it's beautiful to watch and I kind of feel sorry for Croatia because like you said they've not had the best tournament they've been I would say lucky to kind of go through looking at yeah, the draw they were, they they were fortunate to be fair and then of course the penalty shootout in, in the round of 16 as well to be fair but which way do you think it's going to go <laughs> bro i think we are going to see brazil dance their way to the semi-final croatia defensively are, are solid and they will take some breaking down but the second that first brazil goal goes in i think it's game over. over if croatia score first then we've got a game but to be fair, I just this Brazil team, they're going to go all the way, in my opinion, bro. I'm genuinely like so confident. There's a couple of other teams that give me pause, but this Brazil team, I think they're, they're going to do it. Just just a question to highlight um, that happened within the media. Are you for the dancing or against yeah, it? Yeah, bro, I love it, man. How can... I don't understand... Pe- like, uh, Abdullah, shout out Abdul, uh, highlighted a good point mm. a lot of this discourse around dancing or good vibes or whatever or skills or whatever a lot of it comes down to just like a culture of football in england that everything has to be very serious and so on and it's like the rest of the world it's a world game you know the rest of the world is yeah. allowed to play it how they want mm. and whether that be the dancing whether that be the skill moves whatever it might be just because you don't like it doesn't mean you get to say other people are wrong like yeah you know South Africa scored the opening goal of the of the World Cup in 2010. They danced, no issue. That's their footballing culture. It's beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. I hope they dance every after every single goal they score all the way to. I hope they dance with the World Cup trophy when they lift it. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Like yeah. I genuinely, I I loved it. Honestly, mm. I I don't understand the, some of the takes that that some of the British press had about it. It's it's very very backwards in my opinion just let people mm. have fun for what why are we trying to act like football's you know of serious like it's a game at the end yeah. of the day do you know what i'm saying like you're gonna see little kids playing playing in the park he said why are you celebrating for let people have fun 
Um, coming on to the next semi-final, the Netherlands versus Argentina. Now, I was there for the Netherlands versus USA game. And I want to highlight a player that has stuck out to me so much. And it's the kind of player you don't realize unless you watch him in person. Let me and guess. that's Frankie de Jong. Bro, the way <laughs> this guy scans 24-7, he plays like he's got 360-degree camera around him. He knows <laughs> everything that's happening around him at all times and where people are. And I think that's what sets him above the rest. He's a cerebral player. And then you have their strength, which is their fullbacks. Because it doesn't matter how old they are, how defensively suspect they are, the system revolves around the fullbacks. And they killed the USA with the fullbacks. And Argentina have been acceptable. I don't, have you been impressed with Argentina so far? I think the, reason, the thing with Argentina is that one player that I want to highlight... Um that would have made a difference to him, but unfortunately he's injured, would have to be Lissalso. Um, I think watching their Copa America route towards the final and actually watching the final, he offers that balance between the midfield and the attack. And I think it just looks a bit disjointed from the midfield going forward. I think it's just always look at Messi. And obviously most teams now, they're trying to man-mark or double up on Messi, which kind of restricts other players from receiving the ball, like Di Maria or Julian Alvarez. I think they have they have the capabilities to actually hurt um, Holland themselves, but I think it's just how the manager sets up whether he plays Enzo Fernandez instead of Paredes. I think that could be a difficult one because he's still young and he's still learning the game, and to put that much pressure on someone that young, uh, it, it's kind of scary for Argentina themselves because. He has to provide, like I highlighted earlier, the Casemiro role of being more defensive-minded and allow the attacking players to kind of show off their flair, but also being their concrete spine of the team. And I don't think they have that. And that's the, that's the worst part within Argentina. They just seem... For me, their performances seem disjointed. Yeah, exactly. Every single one of their performances has been disjointed. Every single one of their performances, ha- they haven't looked good for 90 minutes. They've had moments, and in their moments, they perform and they score, but they don't perform. They, I haven't seen them perform like Brazil did, where they yeah. dominate a team for 90 minutes. I haven't seen them play like Portugal did against, um, Switzerland. against Switzerland, where they literally dominated the game for 90 minutes. Argentina haven't done that. They've almost done just enough to, to win. The Australia game, it they just... were horrible in that first half. Horrible. Yeah, I think... And um, and all of their big players, Messi included, was anonymous. And then Messi turns up where he turns up for five minutes where he looks amazing, where he's going on dribbles, where he's passing the ball. Where And I understand that that's his play stand now that he's a bit older. I understand that. But I don't think you can play like that in moments on a big occasion. Exactly. I'm not saying necessarily that Netherlands are going to beat them. But I think Netherlands have the capability and the assets to beat them, especially with the fullback play. If they play with them wing-backs the way they did against the USA, Argentina are in for a world of trouble because guess what? One team you don't want to be hitting you on the break is Holland. Mm. Dumfries, Memphis, Cody Gakpo, all running at you with Frankie de Jong there to pass the ball. It's a long day. Yeah. Long day. Um, and I think even if they manage to get past, I can't see them beating Brazil, to be honest with you. They're just... It's just... For them, it's all about that defence. If that defence performs for 90 minutes... Then, then they they come. Yeah, they can hundred percent. I don't, I don't go think through. defense is the issue. It's more of the midfield. Um, no, no, but I just mean that if they can hold, I just that mean Holland. that because the rest mm. of the team won't perform for ninety minutes, yeah. 
you can't afford to concede. Mm. You but can't afford to go to sleep for five minutes like they did against Saudi Arabia. They yeah. go to sleep for five minutes, they lose the game. I think with Argentina, they play on emotion. And now they're in the latter stages of the tournament. That can't happen. You're playing against tactically better managers, better t- better players. And Van Gaal, don't forget, will have the revenge on his mind. Yeah. For 2014. I, I, I think that's why, honestly, I predict Holland will... Not upset, but I think they will rightly so deserve... I don't deserve. think it's an upset, to be honest yeah, yeah. with you. I don't think they're you know, vastly outmatching them. I think it will be a good game. Yeah. I think it will definitely be a good game because the two teams that love to hit on the break. Uh, if, if Messi turns up, of course, Argentina can, can come away with the win. Yeah. I might look very stupid because this episode's coming out on the same day. We may like, might look very stupid and they might even s- smash the Netherlands, but I think the Netherlands are going to give them a game. Yeah. I uh, hope so anyway. I think that makes it, it makes it a good game. Uh, moving on to the the next game. Morocco, Morocco Portugal. versus Portugal. Now, wow. let's go through that day. We watched the Morocco game. Lose my mind. Yeah. The win. I think to myself... Portugal have looked all right so far. They haven't looked amazing. You know, Morocco can do this. Morocco can beat them. Until Portugal team news comes out. Ronaldo's not playing. Interesting. Let's see how they perform. Because we said in our preview as well, yeah. they can win it if they don't play Ronaldo as a central figure. Yeah. So it was an interesting thing to see how they perform. And shout out to Santos because didn't expect him to make that call. Exactly. I genuinely didn't think that he had the personality to, 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 to drop, drop Ronaldo and yeah, fair exactly. play to him. And Cancelo as well. Side note that one, but Cancelo as well. And they um, were incredible. This mm. Switzerland team, okay, they're not, they're not Argentina. They're not... Guess what though? They gave Brazil a good game. They only lost 1-0 to Brazil. Yeah. Portugal smashed them out of the park. Portugal showed no mercy in that game. Yeah. They were sensational. And shout out to Ramos as well. Your first World Cup game, and you you score in a hat trick. Someone that young, honestly shows. And he's been doing it for Benfica all season long. To be fair to him, Mm. but it showed you what that Portugal team could do with movement in the final third, where the player who can make them runs, where the player who can has that movement. It made other players look good. It made Joao Felix look good. Bruno Fernandes for me has been the player of the tournament so far. Mbappe's of course a fair shout for Mbappe but for me personally Bruno Fernandes has been the player of the tournament three games five five goals and assists He's, and he, he looked amazing yeah. as well do you think that them keeping Ronaldo out of the 11 is the key for them to go all the way uh, honestly I think so um, without a doubt I think like you highlighted they look like a different team without Ronaldo and like yeah like you said I think it kind of takes a shackle off them that they have to pass the ball to Ronaldo or everything has to go through to Ronaldo. Similar to what happened at United, basically. Yeah, but I think with Ramos, it gives you that raw potential where like, for myself, I didn't expect anything going in to watch the game. I think Ramos, I thought he was just a a normal player that could get his chance and and rightly so, he proved me wrong. I think he, uh, he performed outstandingly and he deserves to start the next game. But I think whether the manager takes the headache of dropping Ronaldo again, whether he kind of listens to the media and makes a decision whether to start Ronaldo is 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 the biggest decision that he needs to make. In I his think career. that performance is the biggest highlight reason why. for him to not to. Yeah, because now no one can question his decision making. Now right you, you see the scene play better the way it did. There's no reason to play him, and that's a good thing for Ronaldo as well because it means that there's less pressure on him to perform as well. Exactly. So, 
I think it's a good team for Portugal as a whole. For Morocco, it's an interesting game. We have Portugal, who are scoring goals for fun. And then we have Morocco, who have conceded one goal all tournament. And that shows you the strength of yeah. their defensive setup. The two centre-back coming off with injury is a big that, one for that's, them. Yeah. That's the question mark, whether one or both of them can come back. But the, the passion they play with, the effectiveness they play with, the chances they do create, they created chances yeah. in that game against Spain. The, the substitute striker who came on should have finished. But they can cause Portugal problems. It all depends on how they deal with them defensively. If they can shut them down well and then try and hit them on the counter, Morocco will always have a chance in this game. Yeah, I think the first four or five minutes is the most important part of the game for Morocco. If they're going either 1-0 up or 0-0, the That's amount of the confidence key. that they will have going into the second game, to to the second half, sorry, would be the best that they've had throughout the tournament because now they know that Portugal are going to be more open, that they need to score because they ideally don't want to go through um, extra time or penalties or take the risk on that. And Morocco now can just hit the counter like they have done throughout the game uh, against Spain. And yeah, they double up with Ziyech and Hakimi on the right. And yeah, allow Bufal, who hopefully is back fit after coming off early injured. And yeah, I think the main point that you highlighted is Norman Saris and his centre-back partner, whether they come back fit. Now, that's the main point that a lot of Africans and Arabs are rooting for. Morocco are hoping that these stuff because like you said they scored one goal they've conceded one goal throughout the whole tournament they had 23% possession against Spain and I think going in I have to give credit to the manager he knew full well that we're not going to get enough time on the ball against the likes of Spain so let us sit back we'll control the game from the defensive side of it and let them try to pass the ball through us and they didn't do that and the one player who, sorry for not highlighting earlier, as probably the best player of the tournament for me, is Amrabat. I think he has Bro. had an outstanding tournament. That game against Spain, he was incredible. He honestly, he, he deserves controlled that a midfield big defensively and defensively. He, There's one bit where he won the ball back, dribbled past the midfield, and he created a chance. Yeah. He was sensational. I mean, shout out to you, of course, as a Liverpool fan. There's uh, strong hints that he's potentially signing for Liverpool in, in January and he would be a solid signing. To Honestly, me. I think he offers everything. The physicality of the midfield, his ball passing and his kind of tempo and control of the game. And you see his, his determination and leadership kind of pushing his players around him, trying to demand more from them. And for someone of that calibre who I've not even seen beforehand, he gives me similar vibes to kind of like the Vieira where he gets in dirty but he can also offer more of offensive side with his passing and dictating of play and I think shout out to him for having probably the best tournament the best Moroccan player to have the best tournament I think yeah, he's he been, he's been Morocco's best, best player for sure yeah um, uh, and listen if you, if you guys do sign him solid signing um, be a little but, bit jealous but I think he's he would be very good for you guys for sure Coming on to the, the final quarterfinal and the big one, of course, for, for the English fans, and that is England versus France. Yeah. Now, surprisingly, this is the first time England and France play in a major tournament. That surprised me. Whoa. That's, okay. super, that's very surprising to me. France are looking like a juggernaut. Mbappe has, has been answering a lot of questions from people like me, for example, who <laughs> have questioned his, 
his his maybe you know his his credentials as a top two top three player, uh, and he's been performing. And I think the difference for me between this run and the World Cup run last time is that the World Cup run last time was it was a a, a team. It was that midfield was incredible of Kante and Pogba. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Griezmann, let's not forget, was in Ballon d'Or contention that year. That's how good he was. Uh, and in this one, Mbappe has been the one carrying the team on his shoulders. He's really been the key to their performances. That opening game when they went behind, he was the one who dragged them back. When the performance in the round of 16 was absolutely sensational. The second goal especially, absolutely sensational. He's been performing as someone who's who wants to be regarded uh, as the best in the world. Whether World Cup is the place to do that or not, that's a question for a separate time. But... He is taking this tournament by storm, the top scorer so far, which I predicted. Potentially sure. the player of the tournament if they manage to to win the whole thing. Um, he's been sensational. And France look as strong as ever, don't they? I think, honestly, you've, you've kind of gassed up France. And rightly so, I think they've been exceptional throughout this tournament. I think there were question marks going into the tournament whether they have the capabilities to actually get far in the tournament. Um because of having the likes of Pogba, Kante, Karim Benzema, and a lot of their kind of focal players or their better players get injured. And I think they've done outstanding um, in the tournament. I think, like you said, with Mbappe um, being the top goal scorer and even Olivier Giroud, now France's all-time top goal scorer. But the thing is what... Griezmann's impressed me as well, playing in midfield, I'll be honest. The thing is with Griezmann, Deschamps loves him because he offers the defensive and offensive side, and he gives exactly he gives a bit role. more energy to that yeah, midfield that people didn't expect. And I think he's he's much needed within that midfield because you've got the likes of Tuchemeni and Rabiot, who are not your first team starters within the French squad, but obviously due to injuries, they've kind of cemented their place. And I think Griezmann gives them that experience that even if you're in trouble, pass me the ball, I'll carry it and he has that link-up play with Giroud and Mbappe, and I think that's worked well for them in previous tournaments. There's chemistry there, isn't there, from uh, previous tournaments? Exactly, and they know how to play because Mbappe knows if he feeds into Giroud, Giroud has the hold of play, and Griezmann has the creative side where he can pick out Mbappe with his runs in behind. And yeah, Giroud it kind of offers that physical presence to defenders where they can't double up, so the centre-back can't push towards the right-back right to kind of double up on Mbappe causing a midfield player to come across. And now you've already lost three players just because of Giroud kind of bullying two centre-backs so kind of basically placing them where he wants them within the attacking side of it. But you've obviously got Yeah, 100%. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing as well you have to remember is I feel like at full strength with no injuries, France are like a club team. They have that much talent yeah. of a club side. Yeah. Now... They've got the strength of an international team, but one of the probably the best international teams. So they're still strong and still, you know, potentially the team that's going to come out of that side of the bracket. On the other hand, we have England. Now, you know, looking at it from a, a far viewpoint, a standpoint of someone who maybe isn't as close to the England side as we are and the news yeah. that comes out of there and things, people will be like, this is an impressive performance by England so far. You know, you win your group, you're the best performing team in the group out of any of the teams. Seven points and seven goal difference. The best performing team of any team. Winning 3-0 against Senegal. 
going to the quarterfinal. It looks rosy. Plays like Jude Bellingham performing. Plays like Phil Foden performing. Kane finally got himself a goal. But there's still question marks, isn't there? Specifically around how Southgate sets his team up. 100%. I think, like you highlighted, the teams that they have played against, you're, you're expecting them to win. It's not a, oh, wow, England have topped the group. You're expected to top the group because looking at the group, no disrespect to the other teams, but you're, you should be topping the group. And I think even them topping the group, it's fine. Senegal, okay, the first 40 minutes could have gone either way. and Exactly. like People are forgetting that for the first 35, 40 minutes of that game, without Senegal are the only team yeah. who had shots on goal. I think, yeah, without Pickford making that save or kind of the defence kind of holding Senegal out for a while. And yeah, luckily enough, I think within this, later on within the first half, England actually started playing football. And I think, I don't know whether it's due to the fear of them. To it was the up. second they got the goal that yeah. Senegal created more space in behind. I think what's frustrating about it is that a lot of the discourse is based around, well, the team's winning. You can't question them. Yeah. And it's just like, no, like there's more to it than that. Like just because you make a decision and a team wins doesn't mean that that decision was the correct decision. Because at some point, making the bad decision will backfire yeah. against you. Mm. You've played Senegal, who don't even have their best player inside your Mane. Yeah. They look better than you for 40 minutes, and then you eventually won a game that you should have won anyway. The context shouldn't be, well, we can't question his decision-making, because it's working. Look at it. How can we, mere mortals, question Gareth Southgate after he's won and Jordan Henderson has scored? Like... You have to still look at the players at his disposal and think, what is the best team that I can make out of this? And for me, there was no runners in that in that team. All the play was in front of Senegal's defence. When you have players like Rashford, Sterling, Saka, you have to utilise all of them. Yeah. Especially when a player like Phil Foden can play that attacking midfield position. And in my opinion, Jude Bellingham is much better as that box-to-box midfielder. And he had more of a role like that against Senegal in comparison to the last two games of the group where he played the number 10, and he didn't look as good. So for me, you have to set up with Declan Rice and Bellingham as your two, and then let your attackers do their thing. Now, we know Southgate. He's going to look at France and the quality they have. Mm. Would it surprise you if he plays a back three? It wouldn't surprise me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think weirdly enough, I think against France... I got a feeling he will bring in Phillips. He'll have him and Rice sitting, and I think they'll have Jude Bellingham kind of pushing up further up, giving him the license to actually get up and down the pitch and offer more of like attacking threat. I think you're right to highlight that England don't utilize the players that they have, and the players in the bench is probably one of the best. Looking at the tournament, looking throughout the tournament, they probably have one of the best benches. Um, so yeah, it just shows their strength and depth is. Is up there with probably the best teams, top three, top five, easily. Hundred percent, like but they they have a squad that is capable of winning the World Cup and the exactly. Euros. The people forget that that Euros loss in the final. They should have won that game easily. They should have won that game. The substitutions were shocking. The timings were shocking. How are you not making a substitution until the last minute just to get players on safe penalties? Mm. Like the the decision making in that final was atrocious. Exactly. And people get blinded by the fact of we haven't been to a final in ages. Let's celebrate it rather than hang on. 
The team's actually good now. It's not like you get into a final with a weak team. You get into the final with a very strong team. You get into the final with players, guess what? I would start for many other nations. Can't say that about England for the last 15 years, yeah. always. Hurricane starts for every other country, probably. Do you think if England lose on Saturday, um, do you think Southgate, are people would be confident to say that Southgate had a good enough tournament? That England had a good, no. good enough tournament? No, no, because because they haven't done anything more than you would expect. Exactly. If you gave, if you told people this is what's going to happen, people would say, yeah, we're going to lose to the quarterfinal to France. Everyone would have said that. Yeah. So they haven't, okay, they haven't disappointed less than expected. They haven't lost to Senegal in the round 16. But then neither have they done better than people expected beating a big nation and, and, and making a semi-final and final. Uh, yeah. So I want to ask you this before we, uh, before we end this. You predicted Brazil, like myself, to win the World Cup before we started. Yeah. Has your prediction changed since then? No. Still, yeah? Yeah, I think Brazil... I th- they've got like an easy route to the final. If they either play Argentina or Holland, it's easy for them rather than playing either France, England or Portugal. Mm. Um, but I think just before we close off, going back to the England point, I've got to give a massive, massive shout out to Harry Maguire. I think... Honestly, I disrespected him during his time at United. Still do. Um, but I think, honestly, he's been England's one, one of England's best players and coming in and the amount of pressure that would be on him for the manager starting him. And I think he, he's kind of Yeah, like there's why. no more them, them question yeah. marks aren't, aren't exactly. there anymore. And, and listen, to be fair to England, the defence as a whole has been a unit. Yeah. They conceded them first two goals against Iran. And Since it. then, nothing. So... I defensively they're there but yeah for, for me neither has my pick honestly Brazil have been every bit of impressive mm. as I expected the one team that does give me pause is Portugal because I think Portugal are on uh, an easier side up until the semi-final depending on who they get Portugal are the one team that I'm thinking ooh, they have that now that they've talent. dropped Ronaldo yeah. ooh, and yeah. I think I think we're going to get a Brazil-Portugal final. I think we're going to get a Portuguese be, derby for the be, final. Yeah, and I think that's going to be an amazing final, yeah. to be honest with you. Mm. Because whoever wins that is going to be story, a storyline there. Ronaldo finally getting his hand on one, even though he might not be kind of the crucial part he thought he would be. Or Neymar finally getting his hand on one and potentially, potentially getting a hand on the Ballon d'Or as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, guys, thank you for joining us this week. As always, again, Apologies for the break last week. But next week, we will come to you with a double header. First, after the quarterfinals. And then, after the semifinals, of course, looking forward to the final of the 2022 Qatar World Cup. What promises to be one of the best World Cups in recent history is delivering. And let's hope it continues. Until next week, keep it locked.